Welcome everybody. We're here from the Rocky Mountain Myrick for Veteran Suicide Prevention in Denver, Colorado. I'm Joe Huggins. I'm filling in for Adam Hofberg. Thank you for joining us for the next installment of the Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. Today I'm at the Bridging the Divide Suicide Prevention Conference here in Denver. I caught up with Leah Harris, who gave the keynote speech. Hi, Leah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So the three words that I generally use to describe myself are mother, storyteller, and advocate. Uh, I also very much identify as a survivor of multiple things. Uh, I'm a trauma survivor. I'm a suicide attempt survivor. And that also really informs um, who I am and the work that I do in the world, um, both training and advocacy to raise awareness about trauma and uh, trauma-informed approaches and really look at how that's connected to suicide and suicide prevention. So I, I really advocate for a marriage between trauma-informed care and suicide prevention and care. Actually, I'm going to take this in a little different. I was going to talk with you about the lived experience, but first I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of trauma-informed care. Can you tell us what that means and why that's important? Absolutely. Trauma-informed care is really an uh, overall approach or a philosophy of service provision. And it recognizes that not just in mental health or substance use or suicide care, throughout multiple systems and sectors, uh, people uh, overwhelmingly using those services are survivors of trauma. Um, And this could be generally complex trauma, so childhood trauma combined with adult trauma. Very often, adults in our various systems have experienced multiple forms of trauma. And unfortunately, unintentionally, in services, people can be re-traumatized through things such as seclusion and restraint or services that are not responsive to their needs or that are not culturally sensitive or gender sensitive, right? People can be re-traumatized in a variety of ways. So trauma-informed care or trauma-informed approaches really is about, okay, we recognize the prevalence of trauma in the people using our services. We know it has numerous impacts on their life, on their mental health, their physical health, their behaviors, uh, or even their life expectancy, right? So we look at trauma-informed care as a values-based approach where we actively seek to resist re-traumatization. We promote resilience and a belief in recovery and healing in all of our work. We incorporate peer support because relationships are so central to healing from trauma. Uh, We really seek to, and I think this is in line with things like patient-centered care, recovery-oriented services, but to have a collaborative approach. Because so often the experience of trauma is that people don't have control. They haven't had control over themselves, maybe their their very own bodies. So how can we do things, instead of doing things to people or for people, to collaborate with people and really encourage them to be active agents in their own healing and, and recovery process. So uh, it's a values-based philosophy and approach and a way of being with people who've experienced trauma. And the other thing I want to say about it is that trauma-informed approaches are holistic. So it's not just about 
responding to trauma in people using services. But it's understanding that providers of services may come with their own set of their own trauma history or set of experiences, whether or not they're disclosing that publicly. So we're really encourage, encouraging everyone in a system or an agency to be aware of their own trauma, how it impacts their work, their lives, and actively seek to promote resilience and healing. And that leads to just a wonderful segue right into this idea of lived experience and how that informs the care that we provide and also informs more than that, I'm guessing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So when I was going through um, my experiences as a a child and adolescent in the mental health system, uh, unfortunately, I I received a lot of very negative messages about my prospects for the future. Uh, I was told kind of keep your dreams real small because you don't want to trigger your illness. Just a lot. Nobody did this intentionally, but the messages I got were very disempowering. And it wasn't until many years later, um, as an adult, that I discovered what is known as the recovery movement, the peer movement, um, but it's people who are in recovery from a whole range of mental health issues, addiction, suicidal um, behavior, who are telling their stories. Um, and the first time I heard a hopeful story about someone who had been where I had been and who was living a good life, who was working and enjoying all the things that we would ever we would want for anyone, right? That was a message I hadn't gotten before. Um, so I think on one hand, these lived experience stories and narratives provide hope. Um, we've, we hear so many horrific horror stories, but we, we rarely hear that other side of people who are doing well and thriving despite whatever it is that they're living with, right? So I think including those perspectives is really important. Staff need to hear those because so often they see people at their very, quote, worst and don't know that folks maybe go on to recover. So that helps to boost the morale with staff. It helps to boost the morale with people using services, and it provides hope. And then another element of lived experience that is so important is that when we ask people who've used our services what helped, what was not so helpful. We can get a lot of extraordinary insights as to how we can improve. How can we be more engaging? How can we make our services more attractive so that people will want to use them? Um, how can we you know, see if maybe there are some areas where we're unintentionally causing additional trauma? Can we shift some policies, programs, practices? Um, but it's really about meaningfully incorporating the voices of, of lived experience of people specifically who's, who have used our services and asking them um, what would have made the difference or what did make the difference. And, and we can vastly improve that user um, experience, service user experience, by asking those questions and incorporating the answers that we get. Something that, that you're saying there that I find really interesting is asking the people that we're working with. And it sounds like you're asking them as part of this experience with them. And it's not a survey that you're sending out months or later. Is that so it's happening in the moment? So I think there's a variety of ways that you can incorporate these perspectives. So it could be potentially in the moment. 
Um, it could be in the form of focus groups where you really have a set of things you're trying to find out and you're conducting a focus group. Or it could also be through those kinds of surveys. I mean, ideally closer to the time that they've received the services so it's fresh in their mind. But I think however it is that you go about it and at different agencies it will make sense to do it in different ways, but it's really the intention um, to be finding out from people who've been using services what's working and what's not working and using that knowledge uh, as a constant way to improve the quality. Right, that quality improvement process. And that's something that that systems approach that um, the Zero Suicide Institute has um, been promoting. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I I absolutely love the zero suicide approach because um, it's what we call um, a BHAG, uh, for those who don't know, big, hairy, audacious goal. (laughs) And we need those goals. Um, So zero suicide really is about setting a high bar, um, but it's also about equipping the workforce to meet that bar, right? Through training, through education, through doing things differently, doing things in a more collaborative way really treating suicidality specifically rather than a whole range of other symptoms um, that are connected to it. Um, and again, the zero suicide philosophy is it's, it's um, an, an approach. It's a way of working with people. It's a way of approaching suicidality. But what to me is the most exciting about it is that it's really equipping the workforce um, to respond in a way that will be helpful and that will not re-traumatize people and will actually facilitate healing and recovery. I know that you're on a short time frame here with the the Bridging Divide conference. Any last words that you'd like to share with us? Uh, Yeah, I think for me, I've I've seen particularly the mental health system has come so far um, since the time I was a young woman receiving services uh, 20 odd years ago. Uh, and that um, we need to really acknowledge how far we've come in you know, shifting from more of a deficit-based orientation to more of a recovery-based orientation, um, having the humility to recognize that you know, we're doing great work, but we could be doing better work, and we need to be doing things differently and thinking outside the box. So I'm excited about the creativity and the open-mindedness and the humility that I'm seeing in the field about listening to the voice of lived experience and that it's going to take all of our voices and all of our efforts, clinicians, people using services together, advocates, um, if we're really going to create the changes that we want to see and and the outcomes that we want to see, it will take all of us. So there's a place for all of us. uh, There's a role for all of us. And I'm really excited about um, the sort of unprecedented level of collaboration between uh, clinical staff and people who come more from the lived experience uh, or lived expertise side of things. Um, So I think I would just say um, there's a lot to be hopeful about. And um, I'm, I'm just really excited to be a part of it and to share just a little bit with you today. So thank you. That's it for the R. Myrick Short Takes podcast today. We appreciate your listening. Listeners, you can learn more about Leah Harris and the work that she is doing by clicking on any of the links that accompany this podcast. We invite you to reach out to us if you have any comments or questions about this work. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. 
and share it with your colleagues. Join us next time for more interviews on important work in suicide prevention, resilience, and well-being. Thank you.